Walter Sports Bar is again this college football season the D.C. hangout for Florida State fans. Make your plans now for Sunday night of Labor Day weekend as FSU takes on LSU. Will Dylan Cruz be there to cheer on his Tigers? Unlikely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swung on, line drive, base hit in the shallow left field. This is going to score both runners. Here comes Ruiz, here comes Garrett. It's a single left and two runs batted in for Riley Adams. His second hit of the game, and the Nationals pouring it on here in the bottom of the fifth inning. They have scored five times. It's now the Nationals six and the Red Sox one. Now the 0-2. Swing a line drive left center field. This is headed toward the gap. It's down. It's going by Yoshida and all the way to the fence. This is going to clear the bases. Racing home downs and Thomas into second with another two-run double is Joey Manessis. He's driven in five runs all by himself. The Nationals eight, the Red Sox one. What a ball game for Joey Manessis. And now stares down Rafael Devers. First pitch. Swing a blast to deep right center field. Forget about it. Oh my, into the second deck. It's now a two-run game. The Nationals nine, the Red Sox seven. Swinging a line drive to right. That's going to fall in another base hit. Stone Garrett comes through again. Ingram's in to score from third. Stopping in second is Ruiz. And Stone Garrett drives in his third run of the game. And the Nationals are in double digits. It's Washington 10 and Boston seven. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, August 18th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nats last season went a major league worst 55 and 107. The Nats this season now are 55 and 67. If that is not progress, uh, I don't know what is. The Nats beat the Boston Red Sox 10-7 at Nationals Park on Thursday to win two or three games in the series. The Nats now are 17-9 and over their last 26 games, now are 5-1 and on the ongoing homestand. This installment of the Nats Chat Podcast is brought to you by Votes for Women, the latest board game released by D.C.'s Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle Games' mission is to create fun, easy-to-learn, historical board games. Mark, there are a lot of ways to measure progress in a rebuild, but uh, equaling your win total from last season with 40 games left in the current season is certainly 
a sign of progress. The win wasn't easy, okay? A 9-1 Nats lead became a 9-7 Nats lead. But man, in the bigger picture, this was potentially like a landmark win in the rebuild. I think so. I think it's a culmination of what we've seen for the last month. Let's go through this. They've won six of their last eight series, and a lot of these have been against good teams. You're talking Giants, Reds, Brewers, Red Sox. They're playing good teams, and they're more than holding their own against them. They're beating them. They have now gone 17-9 and since July 21st, which is, I think, third best in the National League. And here's, to me, is the evidence of the real progress here. You just mentioned the record now at 55 and 67. So they're on pace now for 73 wins this year. Now, I know nobody out there is going to say that 73 wins should be a goal of any team, and that's still not a good season. But think about where they're coming from. If they go from 55 to 73, that's an 18-game improvement from one year to the next. In all of Nationals history, they've only done that once, improving by 18 games from one year to the next. That was from 2011 to 2012 when they turned an 80-win team into a 98-win division champion. Are they going to get there? Maybe not. They're going to cool off at some point. But they're at a point now where they would have to really fall apart to not get to 70 wins on the season. So to me, this is a big step forward no matter what happens the rest of the way. They have made real progress this year. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, you take a step back and you say to yourself, okay, where are we? The Nats have matched their win total for all of last season, still have 40 games left in this season. MLB Pipeline just came out with some new farm system and prospect rankings. The Nats per MLB Pipeline have the number eight farm system in baseball and have two of the top seven prospects in baseball, outfielder Dylan Cruz, number four, outfielder James Wood, number seven. We've talked about all of the potential building blocks this season at the major league level making progress. Like If I would have presented all of this to you on a piece of paper back in April and said, if you sign this piece of paper, this will be the case come deep into the month of August, every Nats fan on the planet would assign that piece of paper. Like, I think it's important to acknowledge this season, realistically speaking, is going maybe not as well as you would want, but not far from that. I mean, are there a few things that you wish were happening that aren't happening? Sure. But like big picture, this is a step forward season that we are seeing. This is the kind of season that expedites, that speeds up the timeline for the rebuild. And you know, I don't think it's unrealistic. I don't think it's unwise. I don't think it's foolish to say that next season could be, uh, look, I don't know if it'll be like what 2012 was as compared to 2011, but next season could be a season in which the Nats say are contending for a wild card spot at this point in the season. I don't think that that's that far-fetched. No, I, I don't either. If they do get to somewhere in the low 70s as a win total, there's going to be a lot of motivation to go into next season and say, hey, we're ready to win more games than we lose and top 81 wins. Now, those are big steps. 55 to 70, whatever. While it's a lot of wins, 55 is so low that I think those are the easier steps to take. It's a lot harder to get from 70 to 80, and it's really hard to get from 80 to 90. So I don't want anybody to think that they are there yet or that it's just a given that all that's going to happen. There are things that still need to happen in a lot of ways for them to take that next really big step that hopefully is coming next year. The starting pitching, number one, is going to have to be a whole lot better. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on Cade Cavalli to come back healthy and be good next year, and for Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray to be more consistent and more consistently effective. But just think about how they're winning games right now. I mean, look at the lineup card that Davey Martinez put out there on Thursday. 
it's not a lot of big names, okay? You could say this is on paper one of their weaker looking lineups they've actually put out there all year. And yet they score 10 runs and they're getting it from a lot of different people. And a good number of these guys are short-term placeholders. A year from now, we're going to be talking about Dylan Cruz and James Wood and maybe Robert Hassel taking over a bunch of those spots, maybe even Brady House. You add that to what they already have, the core group of young guys. I think this lineup's going to look very different a year from now and have the potential to be quite potent given what we're already seeing them do right now with a far less imposing looking lineup on paper. This Nats rebuild is so unique for so many different reasons. Like It comes so soon after a World Series championship. It comes with the people who led the team into needing a rebuild, still running the team and trying to guide the team out of the rebuild. Like, How often do you see a team crater the way the Nats did? And essentially, nobody get fired. (laughs) The GM is still the same. The manager is still the same. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. But I mean, maybe other instances in recent MLB history of this happening, a team falls off a cliff and the GM stays on, the manager stays on, and both guys are guiding the team through the rebuild and may actually still be in place when the rebuild comes to fruition. I mean, it's so hard to think of another instance of this. And yet, that's what we have here. So it is kind of a bizarre circumstance. I also would say this. I mean, the thing that we've talked about so much that got the Nats into this position to have to rebuild in the first place, the bad drafting and player development, we still can't say with any certainty that those things have been fixed. Like, it's possible the Nats come out of this rebuild without having fixed the things that made them have to rebuild to begin with. Because again, another unique thing with this rebuild is the prospects have come from two things, the Nats being really bad and having some high picks, and the Nats cashing in a bunch of big-time trade chips, you know, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, etc. So it's just such a unique circumstance. You know, you throw into the mix the ownership uncertainty, like that's part of this too. It's just odd, man. It's hard to say like, this is something another team could mirror. I've heard some people talk about like, well, now you have to sign Mike Rizzo to a long-term extension. It's like, I don't know, man. Like Mike deserves credit for some of these trades, but I still think that there are questions. So it's a strange time, but the bottom line is the team is doing well and the rebuild is going well. I don't know how you look at it any other way. This episode of Nats Chat is sponsored by VotesForWomen.com, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle's mission is to create fun and easy-to-learn board games for a wide range of ages. Votes for Women is a board game that lets players relive the fight to ratify the 19th Amendment. Perfect for those in DC that love history and want to learn more about it. Designed by Nationals fan and DC resident Tori Brown, and published by Nats Chat superfan Kevin Bertram. Order from www.votesforwomen.com. That's votesforwomen.com. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off. 
Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows. And if you call this week, you get an extra 10% off your order. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. If you've been thinking about getting new windows, now is the time. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Swing and a drive to left center field in the gap. That's going to get down and roll to the fence for extra bases. This will score call. Downs being waved around third. Throw to the plate is not in time. He's in with a head first dive. It's a double and two runs batted in for Joey Manessis. And the Nationals have the lead for the first time today. A breaking ball over the middle of the plate. And he tattooed it. It's the Nationals three and the Red Sox one. You mentioned the offense. I mean, man, did the Nats hit in this game. 10-7 over a team that can hit. I mean, the Red Sox are uh, not patsies when it comes to hitting. The Red Sox are one of the better hitting teams in the majors this season. The Nats on Thursday, 10 runs, including five runs in the bottom of the fifth, three runs in the bottom of the sixth, 10 hits, which were comprised of five doubles and five singles, five walks, seven for 18 with runners in scoring position. And to your point about the lineup, I mean, you had Stone Garrett as the number four batter, Riley Adams as the number five batter, Michael Chavis was the number six batter. You got big time contributions from Jeter Downs in this game. Like it was sort of this ragamuffin lineup, but I give the players credit. I give the lineup credit. It produced big time in this game. Chris Sale was the Red Sox starting pitcher and the Nats ended up putting up 10 runs. I know that Sale isn't what he used to be, but you know he's still Chris Sale, and the Nats were just all over him and all over the Red Sox pitching staff in this game. And they did it without home runs, obviously. They're kind of becoming a doubles machine, though. And I think there's quietly a much more productive lineup out there than maybe we realize. I'm looking at this right now. They are now for the season as a team slugging 402. That's tied for ninth best in the National League. The Nationals the team that doesn't hit for any power, right? They have the ninth best slugging percentage in the National League. They have the ninth best on-base percentage at 320, and they have the ninth best OPS now at 722. Think about where they were a couple months ago in that regard. I don't know that any of us saw it happening quite like that. Just think about the fact that they traded away Jamer Candelaria, one of their only really productive hitters. It's what, two and a half weeks ago now that they did that. And they've somehow gotten better since then. And I'm not trying to say that Jamer Candelaria was the reason they were losing games. He wasn't. He was great for them. But they are starting to get this from a lot of different players. The big names are stepping up. The top of the lineup, Abrams, Thomas, Manessas, Ruiz has been great. But they're getting it now from Stone Garrett. They're getting it from Riley Adams when he plays and he's starting to play more. They are getting it from even on occasion, guys like Ildemaro Vargas and Jeter Downs of all people. It's fun to watch because it's really happening in a way that I don't think any of us necessarily expected would happen this year. Well, the Nats, the last two seasons, have had this penchant for hitting all right, if not well, post the trade deadline. This happened after the sell off in 21. This happened after the Juan Soto trade last year. And it's happening off the Jamer Candelario trade 
this year. So some of the standouts for the Nats offensively on Thursday, Cape Barrett Ruiz, his torrid August continues. He on Thursday as the Nats starting DH and number three batter got on base five times. He went three for three with a double, two singles, a walk, and a hit by pitch. Your Cape Barrett Ruiz slash line for this month of August, a batting average of 370 and on base percentage of 460, a slugging percentage of 667. Kaybeard as the DH meant that Riley Adams was an at-starting catcher. Like I said, he was a number five batter in this game, and he again played well. Every time this guy plays, he hits two for five with a double and a two-run single. So Adams now this season, a mere 122 plate appearances in OPS of 927. Mark mentioned Stone Garrett. Stone, like Kaybeard, having a great August. Garrett on Thursday. The Nats starting left fielder and cleanup batter, two for four with an RBI double, an RBI single, and an RBI sack fly. So Garrett now in this month of August, batting average 353 on base percentage 415, slugging percentage 647. Joey Manessis on Thursday, Nats starting first baseman, number two batter, two for five, two one out, two run doubles to the left center field gap. And then Jeter Downs. I mean, all of a sudden, this guy who, of course, isn't playing much, but his last two games, he has been productive. He on Thursday, as the Nats starting shortstop and number nine batter, one for one with a single, two walks, and a stolen base. He got the start for arresting C.J. Abrams, who did come into the game. That was an Abrams-like performance, right? A hit, a couple of walks, stolen base. Like, he mimicked what Abrams has been doing lately. And scored three runs out of the number nine spot in the lineup. Yeah, that was a really nice development to see it almost to the point where I think Davey was questioning whether he even needed to put Abrams in at the end of the game. I think once it got close, there was a feeling of, well, we probably should just do this just to make sure. And then what does CJ do when he comes in the game? Gets on base immediately, steals two bases and scores a run himself. So that's a good day from the guys hitting ninth in your lineup. Four runs scored, four times on base, three stolen bases. Good stuff there. And Downs was an igniter in some ways. So the Nats had a one-run third in this game. Downs in that inning, leadoff walk, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. He then stole second base, and he on the steal advanced to third base on a throwing error by the Red Sox catcher, Connor Wong, and then Downs scored on a one-out fielding error by Red Sox third baseman, Rafael Devers. So, you know, Downs was like doing it all without the Nats getting a hit there. And what was funny was that Jeter Downs, shortly before stealing second, was nearly picked off at first base on a back pick attempt by Connor Wong. So like furthering the parallel with C.J. Abrams, like that was Abrams-esque, I thought, what Downs did in that inning. Right. And the Red Sox paused for a second. They wanted to review that thinking that maybe he actually was out. They decided not to challenge it. And good for him, though, for recognizing, okay, take off on the next pitch. They're probably not expecting that. And he forced the issue, forced a bad throw, and then took third on it as well. I am sure there was some extra motivation inside Jeter Downs' mind facing the team that he you know, traded for him in part of a major trade with the Dodgers, and he did not live up to at all what he was supposed to be. He still hasn't lived up to what he's supposed to be, but he's getting a chance now, at least a little bit of a chance, and came through for them. So good for him. I don't know what this means. I don't know if we're going to start seeing him get more playing time or not, but at least for the last few days, when he has been out there, he has made meaningful contributions and good for him for that. It has been good to see Jeter Downs and Blake Rutherford do some things in their recent games as opposed to not having done much or not having played much in Downs's case. So the Nats in this uh, 10-7 win over the Red Sox on Thursday hit well. The Nats in this 10-7 win over the Red Sox on Thursday also got a very good outing from starting pitcher Patrick Corbin. One run in six innings, six strikeouts, 
versus no walks. He gave up just four hits, a solo home run, and three singles. He threw 96 pitches, 59 strikes versus 37 balls. We have talked about this. Corbin this season really has been all over the place in terms of results. His ERA for the season is 471. That's not good. His whip for the season is 147. That's not good. But as we also have said, those numbers are appreciably better than his numbers in those categories for the previous two seasons. You see him do this and you know you are reminded of like somewhere in him, it just doesn't appear often enough, but somewhere in him is still a guy who can go out there and pitch well. And I mean, if you didn't know better, right, you'd say to yourself, man, this guy is pretty good. I mean, if Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray did this, we'd be going crazy on the show right now. So, you know, we know the deal. Like, it doesn't mean much long term. His next outing could be, you know, six runs and three innings. But on this day against this team, Corbin did a good job. And it's another good start against an American League team. And I keep thinking maybe there is something about lack of familiarity that helps him. But I mean, he was throwing strikes, he's getting ahead in the count. He was striking guys out, six of them. He has not really been a strikeout pitcher that much this year, much more of a pitch-to-contact guy. After walking seven in his last start against the Phillies, he walks zero this time. It was like a complete reversal of what he had been. And, you know, it's funny, like we're going to look at the end of this year and you're still going to say he hasn't been good and the overall numbers are not good, but we're going to find five or six really good starts in there for him. It would be funny if you compiled at the end of the year the 10 best starts by the Nationals this season. I'll bet you three or four of them, maybe even more than that, would be Patrick Corbin starts, which is crazy when you think about it. It is. And if you just look at innings pitched this season, he is by far the Nats leader. Now, he has made a team high 25 starts, but three other guys each has made 24 starts. 143 and a third innings for Patrick Corbin. Number two on the list is Josiah Gray at 129 and two thirds. Now, some of this is unfair because, you know, you're looking at younger starting pitchers, so they're not going to be pushed in the way that Corbin is pushed. He's not going to get to 200 innings this season, but, you know, getting to like 180, maybe 190, it's not out of the realm of possibility if you, if you assume he makes seven more starts, you know. I give him credit for that. I mean, there is something to be said for eating up innings. Like, in a season, a team has to consume X amount of innings from pitching. And, you know, not all of those innings are going to be pitched by guys with ERAs in the twos. Like some of this is you just got to suck it up and have guys eat up innings. And Corbin does do that. So, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like whenever he pitches well, we sort of talk ourselves into thinking that maybe somewhere down the line, this guy could be decent again, or maybe the Nats could end up trading him again. I feel like we're past that point. But I think at the, at the least we can like salute him for some of the decent, if not good things he still can bring to the table. And that innings pitch thing to me does stand out looking at that because that is by a pretty good margin, the number one innings pitched total on the team for the season. If I remember right, he's gone at least five innings in all but one start this year. And that was his opening day start against the Braves. So while they haven't all been quality starts, obviously, and he does give up a good number of runs at times, what he has avoided this year are those blowups, the early blowups. I mean, that happened to him a few times. He got knocked out in the first inning twice, I think last season and a few other starts that he didn't last long at all. So he is avoiding those kind of games and, you know, keep talking about the bar is awfully low and everything, but the 471 ERA, while not good, is the lowest that he's had it since May 20th. And it's at least within the realm of like respectable. Again, not good. Start to start, you don't know what you're going to get, but he is giving them everything that he's got. He takes the ball every fifth day, and he's given him at least five and often six innings. So 
for what they need from him at this point, I think he's doing what he can. And I don't think you're going to find a lot of people complaining about what Patrick Corbin is for them at this point. Well, and with the understanding that next season, you don't want him in the rotation anymore. You want the rotation to be made up of five promising young starting pitchers. If you have to begin the season with him in the rotation, I don't think that's going to make people's like stomach turns. Like you could say, okay, like it's not a guy coming off a season in which he had an ERA of six. You know, if he finishes the season with an ERA in the fours and there's this understanding of he's in the rotation for, say, the first month or two of next season. And then, you know, Cade Cavalli makes his season debut or Jackson Rutledge gets called up or whatever. Okay, fine. I think, you know, most Nats fans anyway could uh, live with that. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Capert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat's Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. If you too are on the lookout for some cheaper tickets to the Morgan Wallen Show at FedEx Field in early September, then I suggest you check out the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports and other shows near you. It is the fastest growing ticketing app in the USA for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy, so that way you know exactly what to expect when you show up. Grab the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT, that's spelled N-A-T-S-C-H-A-T, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about Factor, which is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I have been eating Factor meals. They are outstanding. They can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. We, of course, are in the thick of summer, but the school year isn't far away. Everyone's busy. You want to make sure that you're eating well. With Factor, you can skip that extra trip to the grocery store, and also skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and the nutrition that you need. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are ready in just two minutes. All you have to do is heat up the meal and enjoy the meal and then get back to doing whatever it is that you need to be doing. Here's what you do. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the code natschat50. You do that, you get 50 off. Yeah, 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that promo code NatsChat50 for 50% off. 
factormeals.com slash NatsChat50 and use that promo code NatsChat50 for 50% off. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. To one, Morales on a line to left. That drops in for a base hit. McHenry on his way home. They go station to station everywhere else. And the Freddies are on the board. Yo-Yo Morales has his 11th Fred Nat RBI. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for play on Thursday evening as he was in his usual spot hitting second and playing center field. 0 for 3, did draw a walk and score a run, struck out twice on the evening. The Fred Nats defeated the Augusta Green Jackets 4 to 3. Now back to Mark and Al. Here's the 1-1. Swing a high drive, center field and deep. Call turns all the way around, back to the warning track at the wall. He leaps, can't get it, and it is gone for a grand slam. And that cuts the Nationals' lead right in half. It's now 9-5. Urias, with his second homer of the year, his first as a Red Sox, brings them all in with a grand slam. There really was one negative for the Nats on Thursday, and not to pick on the guy, but listen, we preach the truth about whatever happens in these Nats games on this podcast. Reliever Robert Garcia, he had been actually pretty good for the Nats, but he was a disaster in the top of the seventh on Thursday. He allowed six runs in two-thirds of an inning. He faced eight batters, but got just two outs. He gave up a two-out grand slam by the Red Sox's number nine batter, Luis Arias, to center field to cut the Nats' lead to 9-5, and Garcia gave up a two-out first pitch, two-run homer by Rafael Devers to the second deck in right field to cut the Nats' lead to 9-7. That homer came in at 453 feet per stat cast. So the Nats went from leading 9-1 to leading 9-7. This game went from a laugher to all of a sudden not being so funny. Now, the three other relievers who the Nats used in this game were good. Andres Machado faced one batter and got it out, a swinging strikeout of Trevor Story that uh, mercifully ended that Red Sox six-run seventh. Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless top of the eighth, and Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless top of the ninth for the save despite giving up a leadoff single and then giving up a double. But, you know, it's a shame that you had to use slash burn Harvey and Finnegan in a game in which you're up 9-1. And, yeah, that game got a little too close for comfort off what happened in that top of the seventh. Way too close for comfort. And I'm sure there are people, myself included, who are watching that after he gives up the grand slam, thinking, why is this guy still in the game? I know it's a lefty-lefty matchup with Devers, but really, are you going to leave him in there with a chance to cause even more damage? And he did. Now, it sounds like the bullpen was pretty depleted. There were several guys not available. I think Davey was hoping to avoid using Machado altogether. He finally got to a point that said, I've got to put him in there to get out of this inning and then let him rest the rest of the day. It was tough to watch. I agree with you. I've liked what I've seen from Robert Garcia to this point. So you hope that this is an anomaly. One of those days, they just didn't have it. But boy, he really didn't have it and turned what really was going to shape up to be like one of the best days in this season for the Nationals all around, a feel-good day in all ways, and all of a sudden made it very dicey and very nerve-wracking final few innings. And when Kyle Finnegan put two on in the ninth, there was genuine puckering up in the stands at Nationals Park. Now, there are a lot of Red Sox fans who were very excited at the possibility of a comeback. There are a lot of Nats fans who were terrified that after a great run of more than a month, Kyle Finnegan was finally going to blow a save. He did not in the end. He settled down. He got out of it. 
and thankfully did not change the narrative of this day because, you know, you never want to blow a game, but boy, if they had blown this one in that fashion, we're talking very different things on this podcast today. Yeah. And it was a reminder of the Nats bullpen is still the Nats bullpen. A lot better lately, but on any given day, bad things can happen. And that's true of any bullpen, you know? So a reliever can be rolling, a bullpen can be rolling, but you can still have something like what we had there. And yeah, a six-run Red Sox seventh. Things got dicey, but the Nats held on for the win. So next up for the Nats is this uh, ultra-unique three-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies. Game one will take place at Nationals Park Friday night, beginning at 7.05. Joanna Doan will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two will take place on uh, Saturday, beginning at 4.05. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And then the series will go from Nationals Park to Muncie Bank Ballpark at historic Bowman Field in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Nats Phillies as the game for the 2023 MLB Little League Classic. The game will be on ESPN and is a Sunday nighter. So Sunday night baseball for the Nats. Not a place in which we have seen the Nats much in recent years, but Sunday night, 7-10, Nats Phillies at Muncie Bank Ballpark. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. So I guess, is the game considered a Nats home game because this is part of a quote-unquote home series for the Nats? Yeah, they lost a home game to be able to be in this one, which they were fine with. It's an exciting thing. That's the first neutral game site the Nationals have ever played in. Everything has been a home game, a road game. They have not ever been picked for one of these special MLB events. I know a lot of people are excited about it. It's going to be a hectic day. The itinerary for the team, they play, like you said, Saturday at four. They'll be spending Saturday night at home. And then Sunday morning, both teams are boarding airplanes and flying to Williamsport. It's not that far, but they're flying there. There's going to be a ceremony at the airport in Williamsport with some of the Little Leaguers there. They're then going to be whisked straight over to the Little League complex and watch one of the Little League World Series games and interact with all the kids there and then go over to what is a minor league ballpark that they're playing the game in that night. And then when the game's over, they're getting back on the airplane and the Nationals are flying to New York for an off day in advance of what's then a three-city trip, New York, Miami, and Toronto. So it's going to be hectic. I'm sure everyone's going to be exhausted, but I think there's some genuine enthusiasm for this. It's something different. And for a lot of the guys who came up playing as kids, I think there's something special about going to Williamsport and getting to experience what so many of us growing up wished we could experience ourselves. Yeah, this is a crazy next few weeks for the Nats. So you have this unique series against the Phillies this weekend. Then, like Mark said, you have a three-city, nine-game road trip in which you're going up and down, up and down at the Yankees, then at the Miami Marlins, then at the Toronto Blue Jays. And then you go from that nine-game road trip straight into a four-game series against the Miami Marlins August 31st through September 3rd. No off day after the nine-game road trip. That is not something that happens often, although the Nats uh, are set to have an off day on September 4th. Also have one coming up this coming Monday. So the Nats better rest up on Monday because uh, that'll be quite the trek for the Nats. You know, we've talked about dog days of August, etc. But look, they're playing well. And so I feel like a tough stretch of the schedule becomes a lot more palatable, a lot more doable when you're playing well. Imagine if the Nats were reeling and getting beaten up in these games. You know, you'd look at the schedule, what's ahead, and you'd say, oh boy, like, you know, who can tolerate this? But, you know, they're doing well. And 
yes, like some of these teams are imposing, but you know, right now you tell me who's playing better, the Nats or the Yankees? Like, are you following the Yankees? Like the Nats are playing better right now than the Yankees are. So who knows what these next few weeks could bring? No, you're right. I mean, the toughest opponent may actually be what the Marlins are kind of playing pretty well right now. And obviously the Phillies, they've had their struggles with, so that's not going to be an easy series. But I think they will be energized by this. A lot of young guys are hungry. This is a great opportunity for so many of them. And I think there are certainly some with the organization that are hoping to put on a good show Sunday night. This is their one and only really national game of the year. And you would think they would love to put on a good show and make some people aware of all the progress that they've made. Now, the scheduling is unfortunate in that Trevor Williams is a starting pitcher for that game. I'm sure perfect world, you would love Mackenzie Gore or Josiah Gray or even Jake Irvin to make that start, but the schedule doesn't work that way for them. But you're still going to have Cabert Ruiz, CJ Abrams, a bunch of other guys getting a chance to play on that stage. And I think they're excited about it. And you hope they do uh, acquit themselves well. And maybe some more people start to realize that there's some good things going on here. They're not done. There's a long way still to go. But the progress is undeniable at this point, where they are now versus where they were at the start of the season versus where they were a year ago. And, you know, you figure that narrative will be talked about on the national broadcast on ESPN, which organizations always like. Like, there is a positive spin that can be put on things. And, you know, I would think that ESPN will engage in that uh, conversation. We're brought to you by Votes for Women, the latest board game released by DC's Fort Circle Games. Fort Circle Games' mission is to create fun, easy-to-learn historical board games. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program, we'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Schover, see what we can do for you. NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website as well, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time. And we thank you for listening to the Nats Chat Podcast. And the pitch. Swung on line drive right at Chavis. Makes the catch toward the middle of the diamond. And bang, Zuma. Curly W's in the books.